Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here at Chatham Community Church, and I'm so glad to see you all here this morning, especially if this is your first or maybe second time. Maybe you were here last week. I happened to be up at North Chatham uh, with our campus there, and Alex was here. So if you were here for the first time last week, or if this is your first time here, it's your first time seeing me, I'm so glad you're here. If you are relatively new to us or haven't been around in a while, uh, right after the service, we're having something called Starting Point. It's a short gathering for folks who are relatively new to our community. Uh, we'll meet in the room that's just outside these doors to my left. And uh, it'll just be a time to meet other folks who are relatively new to our community, hear a little bit about uh, what we do here at Chatham Community Church, what we're about, give us a chance to get to know you a bit, and give you uh, some pathways for how to continue to connect into our community. Some of you received an email inviting you to that. You're welcome to come. But even if you didn't receive an email, uh, you are welcome to join us. Uh, last month, we had a full room, and it was just a great experience of people getting to know each other and making connections. Uh, I promise it'll be brief. But uh, if we follow the track record of last, the last time we did it, it'll be meaningful. And brief but meaningful is great. We love that. So uh, you're welcome to join us after the service. Uh, I've always been a bit of a night owl. Uh, I grew up being a night owl, still am a night owl. And back when I was younger and had cable TV, I would spend some of my evenings and into the late night just scrolling through channels. Y'all remember when we used to do that, just clicking through channels? This was before the time where you could go into the menu and select the channel you wanted to go to, so I'm dating myself a little bit. Uh, but, you know, when I did that, I would scroll through channels. I would eventually stumble onto the type of program that was usually mostly on either very, very, very early in the morning or very, very, very late at night. I used to stumble onto infomercials. Uh, these were usually 20 or 30-minute programs uh, where the goal of the program was to get you to buy whatever product they were showcasing in the program. And this was uh, a, uh, usually a product that was exclusive to the infomercial. Uh, the pitch man, someone like Ron Pope or uh, Billy Mays, would, 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 would get through the sort of the presentation. He would tell you and show you how great the product was and then flash the number because you had to call that number in order to get the program, in order to get the product. That was the only way to get it. Usually these products weren't sold in stores. And when they were coming to the close of their pitch, they would do a couple of things to try to entice you to buy the product. One of the first things that they would always do is that they would show the retail value of the product and then they would cross it out. Or, or like a, a, a sort of a big splash would come up with a lower price, and you'd get the sense of like, oh, if I call now, I get a better deal on it, right? But sometimes the price was too high, so they'd say, or four easy payments of $19.99, <laughs> right? And if you couldn't afford sort of the big price tag, you could scale it down sort of into more manageable pieces. And just when you thought, right, that, that they had presented the product, that you had all the information you needed to make your decision and change the channel, you would hear something along the lines of, but wait, there's more. And they would usually throw in some other product for free that you could get if you dialed the number right now. Remember, four easy payments of $19.99. You thought that you knew all that there was to know in order to make the decision, but there was more. And that's kind of like some particular types of great stories, particular, particularly mysteries, right? When you're in a good mystery story, you, you come to points throughout the story where you think, oh, I've got it all figured out. I know what's going on. And then the author will drop something in there 
or the screenwriter will drop something in there. There's something more. And it pulls you deeper and deeper into the narrative, deeper and deeper into the story. There's always just a little bit more. We've been in a series titled Step Into the Story here at Chatham Community Church as we've been making our way to Easter. Uh, For 2,000 years, people have found uh, sort of a life-giving story by entering into the story that Jesus uh, invites us into. And the accounts we have of Jesus' life in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus reveals the story that he is telling not just about himself, but the story he is telling for all of humanity. It's a story that's marked by love. It's a story that's marked by redemption. It's a story that's marked by lasting blessing, by a blessing that lasts, by goodness that lasts. And it's one that we get invited into not just once, but over and over and over and over again, we get invited to step into. It's kind of like those great stories, those great infomercials. Just when you think you have it figured out, you get a but wait, there's more moment. You get a but wait, there's more moment. Because here's the thing. There's something greater and better in the story that Jesus invites us into. And that's not just true the first time we enter into it. It's true throughout our lives. As Jesus invites us further and further into the story, it's always because there's something greater and better for us. Any one of us could come to one or multiple moments in our lives when we realize that we've too quickly come to conclusions about God, about faith, about Jesus, about church, about life. And then God presents us with something to let us know that there's actually more that there's actually more if we're willing to consider it. So what I'd like to invite all of us to do here today is to be open to God's invitation into something greater and better. Maybe today there's a but wait, there's more moment for you. Maybe today there's a but wait, there's more moment for me. The story that Libby read for us is kind of like a but wait, there's more kind of story. You get all the setup at the front end, to believe that this is a healing story, that Jesus is going to heal Lazarus, right? They front load it. They tell you that Lazarus is known to Jesus. They tell you that, that Lazarus's family is known to Jesus. They tell you that, that Jesus loves Lazarus. They get word to Jesus in time that Lazarus is sick. Everything feels like it's setting the scene up for a healing story, right? And we've seen it before. Jesus hears about illnesses. Jesus has sick people brought to him. And what happens? He heals them. He heals them from close. He heals them from afar. He heals them with touch. He heals them with mud. He heals them with words. He heals them in lots of different ways. This is no different than any of those other situations it feels to us. This is clearly a healing story. This is a person that he loves. And he even says that this illness will not end in death This is clearly a healing story. And then Jesus delays. He delays his return. Not only does he delay his return, but he delays his return intentionally and Lazarus die. And this no longer sounds like a great story. It no longer sounds like a good story. But wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. By the end, What started out seeming to be a healing story turns into a resurrection story. Someone has come back to life. Someone who had died and had been entombed for days has come back to life. We're going to talk a little bit more about that specific dynamic of the story in just a bit. 
But let's look at how this story is also a but wait, that's, there's more kind of story for all the people involved. Let's look at how this is a story in which Jesus invites people to reconsider where they are and the story in relation to him and how he invites them to consider that there might be something greater and better for them if they're willing to step into it. When Jesus is at the tomb, as he's about to raise Lazarus, the scripture tells us that he prays out loud. And in his prayer, he says, I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, among the people who are standing there are folks that we'll just call the Jewish crowd. And what we know about them, at least in this story, is that they are no friends of Jesus. Their relationship with Jesus is less than amicable. The last time Jesus was in this village, the Jewish crowd tried to stone him. Now that he's come back, as he comes back, even in the midst of all this grief that's going on, there's some mixed reaction to his arrival and his presence there, uh, including some people questioning why, why he's here, and why, if he's so powerful, he hadn't come before and prevented this tragedy from happening. Now, the text doesn't tell us whether there's overlap between the two groups, but the fact that they're sort of identified in the same way at least gives us the impression that John intends us to relate them, or at the very least, think of them as one unit. These people are hostile to Jesus. They're cynical about Jesus. They're skeptical. They're antagonistic. They've already come to conclusions about who Jesus is, what he's capable of, and whether or not he's good for them or good for society or good for the people around. They've mocked Jesus. They've questioned Jesus. And when Jesus shows up and prays, and raises Lazarus from the dead, it's for their sake too. It's for the sake of the cynic. It's for the sake of the skeptic. It's for the sake of the antagonist. It's for the sake of the person who has opposed him. It's for their sake too. He wants them to step beyond their too soon conclusions. He wants them to step beyond what they've already decided about them. He wants them to step beyond their mistaken and hasty conclusions because he's got more for them. He's got a better and greater story if they're willing to reconsider their conclusions. J. Warner Wallace was a detective, and he considered himself an atheist, and he considered himself a skeptic when it came to the Bible. In fact, he said he would say he was deeply skeptical about the Bible. And he writes in a book, uh, his book, Person of Interest, that uh, around his late 20s or early 30s, he felt sort of a prompting to reconsider his position. And so he decided to apply all the skills that he had acquired during his career as a detective, not just a detective, but a cold case detective, to the narratives about Jesus, to the, the story that had been told about Jesus for millennia. And so he dug into the story of the New Testament. He dug into the story of Jesus. He dug into the story of the early church. He did it to see if his conclusions about Jesus might have been wrong. Within a few years, he'd become convinced. He'd become convinced of the truth of the gospel and his life had been transformed. And it all started, it all started with a willingness to reconsider the conclusions he had previously held tightly to. It all started with a willingness to reconsider his conclusions, to be open to the possibility that there was more, that there was more than what he thought, 
that there was more than what he believed, that there was more than what he concluded. When it comes to Jesus, to God, to church, to faith, to life, maybe for some of us, it's time to step out of premature conclusions and step into openness and curiosity. Maybe it's time for some of us to step out of premature conclusions and step into openness and curiosity. Jesus doesn't let the conclusions of the Jewish crowd deter him from coming after them, from coming for them, from meeting them, from engaging them. He doesn't let it deter him from his pursuit of them. And it doesn't stop him from coming and extending an invitation to them to step deeper into the story. Our skepticism about God, if you have any, our cynicism about God, if you have any, our hostility towards God, if you have any, our apathy towards God, if you have any, none of those things deter God from his pursuit of you. None of those things block God out from his love of you, from his wanting you to reconsider the story. He continues to extend to you an invitation into his story. As long as you have breath, God is extending an invitation to you to reconsider the conclusions you've come to. Because the story he has for you is a story that's better and that's greater than the one we can write apart from God. So I'm not asking you today, if you're a skeptic, if you're a cynic, if you're apathetic, if you're hostile, if you're here because someone has dragged you here or because it's the sort of the cultural thing to do, I'm not asking you to take a leap. No, I'm inviting you to consider your posture. I'm inviting you to reconsider your posture, to turn from conclusions and closedness to openness and curiosity. And then I'm going to invite you to do something about it. Engage in seeking. Engage in searching. Engage in questioning. God is not deterred by those things. God is not thrown off by those things. I think what you'll find, as not just the author of the book I mentioned, but many others who've engaged in that type of pursuit, is that God will meet you. God will meet you. And you'll have the opportunity to enter into a greater and better story. The raising of Lazarus is also a but wait, there's more moment for the disciples. And they're in danger of missing it because when the story starts, they don't want to go back. They don't want to go back to Bethany. Can you blame them? The last time they were there, their lives were in danger, right? Because if Jesus is going to get stoned, the likelihood of them getting stoned as well or catching a few rocks upside the head is pretty high. And they've gotten away from that. They don't want to go back, so they try to dissuade him. They remind him of the danger. They remind him of the danger, and then they lower the stakes by misinterpreting what Jesus means when he says that Lazarus is sleeping. They're like, oh, okay. They'll take whatever they can take to build up a case for why it's not a good, good idea to go back to Bethany. They don't want to go. But if they don't go, they're going to miss a crucial moment. They're going to miss a crucial moment in the story that Jesus is telling with and in them and the story he wants to tell through them in years to come. Now, they've already stepped into the Jesus story. All of them have made a decision to follow Jesus. They've left behind family. They've left behind jobs. They've left behind homes. They've left behind comforts. They've followed Jesus because they believe that he's the promised one. They believe that he's the Messiah. They believe that he's the king who is going to liberate the people. 
They believe that he's the one who's going to make things right. But that hasn't happened yet, at least not in the way that they imagine it. So the idea of going to a place where they might be killed, where the odds are high that they might be in danger, it feels like a fool's errand. Why would you risk that when you still haven't completed the mission, they may be thinking? feels like it might lead to them losing their lives for nothing. At this point, they've already given up a lot, and it still doesn't look like what they thought they were getting into. And at this point, they can still go back. It's possible that their fishing business is still waiting for them. It's possible that they can still get back into collecting taxes. It's possible that they can still get back into the rabble-rousing crowd of the activist. But if they follow him into this, if they follow him back into Bethany, then the story becomes one in which they are saying, we surrender our whole lives. We surrender our whole lives. We are willing to die with you. So how does Jesus meet them in that tension? He lets them know, first of all, that if they're with him, in the end, everything will be okay. That's what he talks about when he says to be in the light. But also, he lets them wrestle with the tension. He doesn't resolve it for them. He doesn't give them the easy answer because it is a real tension. It is a real tension to decide whether or not you're willing to stake your life for something. And it is not to be taken lightly. He lets them wrestle with it. Nothing can resolve it for them. They have to come to their own conclusions. It's a decision that they need to make. And even though their lives don't end up in danger, they don't know that. They don't know that. It's powerful to hear them say, let us go with him that we might die also. It's a powerful turning point for the disciples. It's not a statement of fatalism. It's not a statement of fatalism. It's one of full commitment to whatever the story Jesus is telling is going to end up being. At that point, they've become fully committed to it. They said, whatever it's going to be, however it's going to turn out, we're in. We're on. We're all in. Now, the stakes may not be at that level for us right now. We may not feel like the stakes are life and death for us right now. But the Jesus story is one in which we are continuously invited into a deeper commitment to him into a deeper relationship with him, into a deeper engagement with his story over and over and over again. We'll sense the prompting to align our lives, to align our will, to align our intentions, to align our purpose with his story, with his story. So I wonder if for some of us today, the wait, there's more invitation, might be to step into the way of yielding and surrender to God's leading to step into the way of yielding and surrender to God's leading. Maybe there's something that you feel God is inviting you to or something that, it, that you know it means to follow Jesus where you feel like the cost is high. It's inviting you to let go of something. It's inviting you to surrender control of something. It's inviting you to actually invite in the care and presence of God and God's leading into something, and it feels risky. It feels costly. It feels like it, doesn't, like it doesn't make sense. It doesn't always make sense, friends. We know the end of the story, so we know that ultimately going to Bethany made sense, but when Jesus was extending the invitation, it absolutely did not make sense to go back there. 
It doesn't always on the front end. It doesn't always make sense. But on the other side, it's always for something greater and better. And whether it's in the short term or the long term, we will see it. We will see the greater and better story that's there when we yield more, when we surrender more to God and God's leading. What might you be holding on to? What might it be time to yield or to surrender to God? Is it your career? Is it the direction that your professional life is heading? Is it the direction of your education for those of you who are in school and the decisions you're going to make about vocation? Is it how you spend your years in retirement? Is it perhaps how you conduct yourself in a particular relationship? Whatever it is, what's on the other side is good, it's better, it's truer, it's more fulfilling. Now, we can't talk about the story in this passage without talking about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They're sort of at the core of this. A significant chunk of the story is dedicated to them. In fact, a significant chunk is dedicated to his interaction with the sisters. And when you read that section, when we listen to that section from Libby, what you get is a sense that this section is is just filled with deep pain, with grief, with disappointment, with conflict, Because Jesus didn't show up. Jesus didn't show up when they needed and called out to him. And now they find themselves where they once expected a healed brother, they have a dead one. It's a hard spot to be in. Now I'm glad that God gives us the interaction Jesus has with Mary and Martha and doesn't go straight, doesn't skip that and go straight to the raising of Lazarus. Right? That's a nice story. Of course it is. It's a great event. Uh, It's great to know the end of the story, but the reality is that most of us are not at the end of the story. Most of us, like Mary and Martha, are in the middle of the story. We're in places where we've not yet seen the fruit of the decisions we've made to trust in God. Where perhaps we're feeling some of the cost or in the places where things feel puzzling and hard. And just like there's an invitation for Mary and Martha in the middle, and we see it because of Jesus' interaction with them, there's an invitation for us in the middle of the story. Some of us may be in the middle of stories that involve family members. We may be in the middle of a story with a parent who's not making wise decisions about their health or about their finances in retirement. I know for some of y'all in the sandwich generation, it feels like those are hard moments to know what to do. Some of us might be in the middle with friends who've sort of become consumed by what they see and read in media, and we can't seem to get them out of that. And they are drowning in a life of fear and desperation and getting angrier and angrier and angrier, and we don't know what to do in the midst of that story for them. Perhaps... We're with a spouse that's grown cold and distant and maybe hiding something, maybe not as well as they think they are, and we're wondering, what is going to happen here? How is this story going to end? Perhaps we're in the middle of a story with a child or grandchild, no matter the age, that's headed down a path you know will only bring them pain, only bring them hurt, only bring them sadness, but they're unwilling to listen, and you don't know what's on the other side of this story. Maybe we're in the middle of a story with a job that feels uh, aimless, maybe even toxic, And we're wondering where we go from here. Do we just have to keep looking forward to 10, 15, 20, 30 more years of this? 
Or is there something more? Maybe we've prayed. Maybe we've cried out to God. Maybe we've spent time listening. Maybe we've done as much as we can to be faithful to God and it doesn't seem like God has shown up. We wonder if he will. Maybe some of us are angry. Maybe some of us are now sort of frozen. We've frozen ourselves towards God. We've calloused our hearts towards God because it feels like he's let us down, like he's not actually going to show up, like there's no point in actually trusting him or inviting him into this. Maybe we're disappointed. Maybe we have questions. What do you do in the middle of your story? How have you responded when you found yourself in the middle of the story? How have you engaged or disengaged with God in the middle of the story? What have you done? And what does God do? Well, God does what Jesus does in the story. God shows up. God shows up. It may take a while, or it may feel like it takes a while, but God shows up. It's what happens in the story. Mary and Martha are experiencing many of those feelings and thoughts in the midst of that, and Jesus doesn't shy away from that. Jesus shows up. Jesus meets Mary and Martha in all the disappointment, in all the anger, in all the grief, in all the questions, in all the pain. He meets them and he receives it. He doesn't judge them. He doesn't condemn them. He engages. He responds. He empathizes. He comforts. He acts. He didn't act in their timeline. He didn't act when they initially wanted, when he init- when they initially wanted him to, but he acts. He acts and he tells a better story. Mary and Martha bring them all of their questions. They bring them all of their protests. They bring them all of their hurt. They bring, they bring him all of their longing. They bring all of that to him and it is not too much for Jesus to handle. Just like we can bring all of our questions, all of our hurt, all of our disappointment, all of our pain, all of our anger, all of our insecurities, all of our places of weakness to Jesus, and it's not too much for him. He receives it. And then what Jesus does with Mary and Martha is often what he does with us. Jesus receives it, and then he invites them into something more. He invites them into something deeper. He invites them to take another step into the story. And he does it at the moment when it feels the hardest. He invites them to believe. He invites them to trust. He invites them to risk. He invites them to engage. They're in the middle of the story and he invites them to trust him for more. And somehow that invitation becomes part of the greater story becomes part of the better story, and they get to experience that, even though just a few moments before, they felt like it was lost, and they were wondering where this story goes now. As you're in the middle of your stories, bring what you have to God, and don't be surprised when his response is not just to meet you, not just to receive it, not just to comfort you and empathize with you, but that his invitation is to take another step. Because what's on the other side of that, other, of that step is part of the greater and better story. Starting in 2016, every year, around the same sort of chunk of few months in the year, I experienced a significant loss. Between 2016 and 2022, I lost relationships. I had a job transition. 
I lost a dream of, of, of the thing I was settling into in a particular town. A hurricane ravaged my island, uh, and I lost what home was in that sense. Uh, I lost family members. And uh, I remember as the pattern, as I noticed that there was a pattern, I remember one year heading into that time of the year and not having any sense that anything was going to happen, but fearing that another loss was coming. Because every loss was devastating to me. Every loss felt like it took something out of me. And I prayed that to God. I said, God, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that in these latter months of the year, I'm going to experience another devastating loss, and I don't know that I can take it. And Jesus met me. And I can tell you what I wanted Jesus to tell me. I can tell you that I wanted Jesus to tell me, don't worry about it, it's going to be okay, you're not going to experience any more loss. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm with you. And I'm going to be with you. That year, um, and over the next year, two years, the next two seasons, that same season in the year, uh, my marriage fell apart. I lost it. Things ended painfully and hard. Some of you were here during that time. And you, we walked through that together. I didn't want that to happen. And yet in the midst of that, I had a deeper and greater sense of how God was with me. And every step of the way, I felt God saying, trust me more. Take another step. Bring everything you've got. I can take it. But trust me more. Be open to me more. Be willing to be vulnerable more. Engage with me more. And as I look back now at the seven years of losses, what I see is throughout the way, what ended up happening is God shaped me, has continued to shape me into the man that he's been forming me into. That my level of vulnerability has grown. My level of trust in God has grown. My level of faith in God has grown. My level of dependence in God has grown. And I don't just say that in self-reflection. It's the stuff I hear from y'all. As y'all communicate to me, as y'all have communicated to other folks in that community. I don't know why these things had to happen. I don't know why I had to go through these losses. I don't know that God caused them but I believe that God didn't let loss have the final word. And that is the great thing about following God through the middle of the story. That God doesn't let the disappointments, God doesn't let the pain, God doesn't let the loss, God doesn't let the hurt have the final word. We trust them, he takes it and he writes a better story. He does something beautiful. Friends, he's done it for me. I've seen it. I've seen him do it for y'all. I know some of your stories. And I know when you've trusted God in the middle of the story, God has done something better and greater. So whether you're there right now or you might be there in the future, trust God. Don't stay in the middle. Come to him. Step into vulnerability. Step into encounter and engagement. Step into trust Step into belief. Don't give up. Don't give up in the middle because you'll miss the greater and better story that God has for you if you step into these things. The story ends with a man brought back to life. 
and a hopeless situation becomes a different story. It becomes a transformative story. It experiences an unexpected outcome. Where people thought that the story was over, Jesus says, but wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. Jesus had brought recently deceased people back to life, but this was a whole different scenario. Lazarus was dead, dead, not just mostly dead. He was buried. He was put in a tomb. The stone was rolled. Everything was over. Case closed. That's it. But see, here's the thing. When you hear and heed Jesus' call into life, death isn't stronger than that. Death isn't stronger than Jesus' call into life. Nothing is hopeless. There is no place, there is no person that Jesus' call into life cannot reach. There is no person or place too dead that Jesus can't bring back to life. The story that Jesus is telling is one of life everlasting. It's a story he invites each and every one of us into. There are ongoing invitations to go deeper into the story, but all of us at one point or another had to make the decision to take that first step into the story. The difference in the story that Jesus invites us into versus the one we can tell without him is a stark contrast. It's as stark as the extremes between life and death, and sometimes in very literal ways. The promise of an eternity is what's on the other side of us saying yes to him. For some of us, I believe that today the invitation is to step into the life that Jesus grants and calls us into. So let me speak to you, who maybe have never made that first-time decision. Who've been on, you've been on the edges of the story Jesus invites us into. Maybe you've dipped your toe, but you've never fully stepped in. There is a greater and better story for you. And it's a story that goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And in the lens of eternity, it's a story whose major theme is goodness, love, blessing, life. That's what's available to you. That's what's available to you. Some of you here have done your searching. You've been around, but no one has ever told you or you've never come to the point where you're like, okay, it's time to buckle up and step in. Today's your day. Don't waste the opportunity. Don't let another day go by without stepping into the story that God has written for you. Step into the story. Friends, these are the invitations for today to consider what greater and better story Jesus is inviting you into. I'm going to pray in just a second. But as I pray, I want you to grab hold of at least one of these words because at least one of them applies to all of us, to any of us. Whether it's the invitation to search, the invitation to surrender or yield, the invitation I'm calling the category depth, belief, trust, encounter, vulnerability, or the invitation to new life. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to meet us in this moment. And as he does, would you not dismiss it, but would you actually own it and step in? Let me pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask first for myself. You are inviting me into a deeper, a greater, a better story. May I hear what the invitation looks like for me today. For my sisters and brothers, the people who are here, whom you love, whose stories you know, 
You know at what point in the story they are, and you know what the invitation looks like. I pray specifically for the folks who need to reconsider their conclusions. Would you nudge them into the safe place that is to search? Would you meet them there? And for the folks who have been sitting on the edge of the life that is everlasting and have been wondering if it's worth the risk, would they hear your yes? Would they hear, would they hear the preamble of the heavens celebrating their new birth, their new life for all of us, Lord? There's always something for us to surrender, something for us to yield. Would we feel and sense your hand inviting us into that, and would we take it? Lord, for those of us who need to deal with pain, with disappointment, with anger, would we see you not as a condemning God, 